question this morning is just simply this. What can we observe about the living sacrifice? I, I have four points to the uh, sermon today. We want to look at the meaning of the living sacrifice. We want to look at the manifestation of the living sacrifice. In other words, think about this. How do I know that I am presenting my body a living sacrifice? Do you know that there is evidence of that? Number three, we want to discuss the menace or the enemy to the living sacrifice. And then lastly, we want to just take a few minutes and look at the motive. Why would we uh, present our bodies a living sacrifice? So if you're taking notes, number one, let's discuss this, the meaning, the meaning of the living sacrifice. I believe that there are two words that really can sum up this living sacrifice. I think that you would agree with me we could preach for a year Sundays on this text, and that probably has been done before. But I think two words really sum up the topic. The first one is the word consecrated, and the second one would be continual. Consecrated sacrifice, continual sacrifice. First of all, consecrated. Notice what it says, verse number one. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Now, again, we could preach for a long time on holiness, but in this context, church family this morning, this context uh, we see that there is a reference to the Old Testament sacrifice. How do we know that? Because of what comes after the word holy. Holy, acceptable unto God. When you study the Old Testament sacrifice, you know that the children of Israel were to present their best to God the Father. Uh, they could bring that which was second best. They could bring that which they didn't want themselves, but that would not have been acceptable unto God. And so in light of the Old Testament sacrifice, we see that the living sacrifice, we could just simply say this, we are to present our best. So that begs the question, am I, are you presenting your best to King Jesus on a moment-by-moment -moment basis? That's a very convicting question. Are we presenting our best as a spouse? Are we presenting our best as a parent? Are we presenting our best in relation to our time, our talent, our treasure? Are we presenting our best as a citizen, as an employee, as a church member, as a Christian, as a witness, as we looked at this morning in Sunday school? Am I presenting my best to King Jesus? Oftentimes, we do not present our best. I'm reminded of a story of a little girl who was sent to Sunday school with two quarters. She had one in each hand. One was for the offering plate, one was to go to the Lord, and one was for ice cream on the way home. I don't know where you can get ice cream for a quarter, but that's really irrelevant to the situation. Uh, this maybe was a long, long time ago. On the way to Sunday school, she was walking along, and, and one of the quarters fell out of her hand and went down the drain, uh, you know, there on the curb, went right down, and never to be seen again. Her response was this, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I dropped your quarter, <laughs> okay? Uh, oftentimes, that's the way we are. We, we uh, please ourselves before we please the Lord. We are presenting our best to ourselves rather than presenting our best to the Lord. There's a very famous missionary story that has been told over and over and over again about a missionary, a true story, by the way, about a missionary uh, in India who came upon a horrific scene on, on the edge of the Ganges River there in India. He came across a woman that was uh, laying on the ground and she was clutching a baby and she was crying uncontrollably. She had just 
given uh, one of her children to the crocodile god. She had literally sacrificed one of her children, thrown it into the river to appease her gods. The missionary said, what's wrong? And she told him what she had done. He said to her, how could you do that? She misunderstood the question. She thought that he was asking that why could you give your healthy baby to the, 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 the false gods of the river and keep your very sickly baby? She had a sick baby and she had a healthy baby. That's not at all what he was asking. He was asking, how in the world could you do such a thing? But she stood up, wiped her tears, looked him right in the eye, and she said, oh, sir, we only give our gods the best, don't you? I asked you a question this morning. Do we present to King Jesus our very best? What is the meaning of the living sacrifice? First of all, it is a consecrated sacrifice. It means that we are presenting our best to King Jesus. Number two, not only is it consecrated, but it's continual. Now notice with me what it says, verse number one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but the word living has the idea it communicates continual action. You say, Brother Bill, what's What's your point? Here's my point. And, and please don't miss it because I think it's very, very important that we get a handle on this. This is not a one-time sacrifice. This is an ongoing sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. This is not one time. This is ongoing. What do you mean, Brother Bill? Here's what I mean. I think many of us that had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home come to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we think this way. Oh, I did that. I went forward at church camp. I gave my life to the Lord. I went forward in church. I gave my life to the Lord. When it comes to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, check mark. No, no, no. Listen, it's not have you done that. It's are you doing that. There's a difference. I, I praise the Lord. Uh, I was 17 years old. I went forward in a church service, my home church in Plymouth, New Hampshire. I gave my life to the Lord. I would love to say that, uh, uh, you know, um, for the rest of my life, I didn't struggle with that. I did, and, and the Lord worked on me many, many times until, uh, you know, and he's still working on me. But, but the fact of the matter is, uh, uh, you know, I gave my life to the Lord. But that doesn't mean that I can just forget Romans 12, 1 and 2 for the rest of my life. And listen, by the way, I, I believe every Christian, no matter what your age, you ought to give your life to the Lord. You ought to present your body a living sacrifice. You ought to say like the Apostle Paul, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Every Christian ought to surrender to whatever God would have them to do. But listen, just because you've done that doesn't mean you're done with the living sacrifice. Again, it's not have you done this, but are you doing this? It's not, let me say it another way, it's not a moment in life, it's a moment by moment in life. That we, here it is. It's not a living sacrifice. It's living sacrificially. Let me give you another illustration. Uh, husbands here this morning. We are not good husbands because, are you ready for this? We stood at an altar one day and, and said some words and made some promises and said some vows. That doesn't make us a good husband. What makes us a good husband is that we implement those promises and we, and we take those vows seriously every moment of every day. And it's, it's true with the living sacrifice. And, and so, again, it's not enough to do it once. It's not even enough to do it once a day. It's a moment by moment. The thing about a living sacrifice is a living sacrifice can jump off the altar. 
And so it's a lifelong process of putting ourselves back on the altar. It's not enough to even do it once a day. I like this story. There was a famous preacher. Uh, he was a. Um, uh, he he had been asked to be um, the, the 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 head chaplain uh, of the British Army during World War One. His name was Taylor Smith. And someone got a hold of his journal and found a section of his journal where he wrote this. Now, now get this. This is convicting. Here's what he wrote. <laughs> it's very convicting. As soon as I awake each morning, I rise from bed at once. I'm already convicted. How about you? I dress promptly. I wash myself. I shave and comb my hair. Not all of us can do that. Then fully attired, wide awake, and properly groomed, I go quietly to my study. Get this. There before God Almighty and Christ my King, I humbly bow and present myself as a loyal subject to my sovereign, ready and eager to be of service to Him for the day. Now that's convicting right there. But can I say to Pastor Bishop Smith, it wasn't enough to even do it once a day. It's a moment by moment sacrificing what I want to do for what God wants me to do. Moment by moment. God, I don't, I don't, in my flesh, I don't want to tithe. Living sacrificially is doing what God wants, not what I want. I don't want to witness to that person. That's a difficult person to witness to. Hey, living sacrificially is sacrificing what I want to do for what God wants me to do. Yeah, I don't want to really jump and get involved in a church. I, I, I had a bad experience, by the way. <laughs> Jesus had a bad experience, and he went to the cross of Calvary. I was a pastor 15 years, and I've, had, I've, I've heard it all. And uh, people use that as an excuse. I had a bad experience. I had a bad meal once. I keep eating. <laughs> right? Right? And by the way, I used to say this to my church family. You know what? Pastors have bad experiences, but we still have to get up and keep doing what we're doing every day. We just have to keep preaching, keep loving, keep witnessing, keep leading, even though we have bad, bad experiences, right? So you know, I had a bad experience, so I don't really want to get involved in a church. So listen, hey, what is, what is living sacrificially? What is the living sacrifice all about? It's sacrificing what I want to do for what King Jesus wants me to do. That is living sacrificially. And so we see the meaning of the living sacrifice. Let's talk about this the manifestation of the living sacrifice. In other words, here, here's the question. What does it look like? What does the living sacrifice look like? Well, we have a Bible um, chock full of criteria, right? But in the surrounding text, I want you to know something. In the surrounding text, we find four, and I mean this from the bottom of my, of my heart, four very difficult things to do in the Christian life. And I believe these are evidences that we are living sacrificially. Number one, if you're taking notes, is humility. Look at verse number three of our text. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, if you want to study this church family on your own, you can, you can study verses 4 through 9, and you can see some, some more ways that humility is presented and, and how we need to demonstrate humility in our life. But listen, one of the evidences that we are living sacrificially is that we are constantly aware of our selfishness and we are constantly working on being humble. 
I tell my wife, every year I get older, I'm more and more aware of my selfishness. You would think, you would think I would get better. Every year I get older, I'm more aware of how selfish I am. And listen, we never get a handle on humility. It's a constant battle till we take our final breath. But one of the evidences of, of, of living sacrificially is that we're aware of that. And we're constantly working on that. Here's another, cri- uh, another evidence, if you will, is um, service. Service. Look at verse number 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean, Brother Bill? How, how do I serve others? How do I prefer others? Again, the verses go on to tell you how. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing the instant of prayer, distributing the necessity of the saints, given the hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be associated with those of low estate, be not wise in your own conceit. Those are just some, some ways that we can serve others. When I was a pastor, I used to say this, um, there's two, two types of people that come into a church when they join a church, all right? And uh, one, I, I call this kind of person. Now, if you're sitting here today with your arms crossed, I'm not talking about you, I promise, okay? But, but here, here's the attitude. What can this church do for me? I'm, I'm, I mean, what, 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 what do I benefit from being here? And then you've got this kind of person. You've got this kind of person. And then you've got this person. This kind of person comes into a church and says, hey, what can I do for others? What can I do for, for you? What can I do for the church? How can I be a blessing to the church? How can I serve others? Where do you need service? Where can I sign up? Where can I volunteer? Listen, can I encourage you? Be this kind of person, not this kind of person. And again, if you're sitting like this, I'm not talking about you. All right. So evidences that we're living sacrificially. Number one, humility. Number two, serving others. Number three, forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is huge. Look at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Folks, I believe one of the great sins of the church today, at least in the United States, is bitterness. Someone sometime did something to you. It could have been 30 years ago. You still haven't forgiven them. Every time you come into the church house, there's this cloud of bitterness over your head. We haven't learned to let go and let God. We haven't hit the gavel in the throne room of our heart and said, you are free to go. I forgive you. And I got to tell you something, and you know it. It's not easy to do, but it's a sacrifice. Why do we do it? Because Jesus forgave us. God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. Which of us can stand or kneel, rather, in the shadow of the cross and not forgive someone? How can we kneel in the shadow of the cross? Well, God doesn't know what they did to me. God knows what they did to you. And two things about that. Number one, probably there are people that have gone through much worse. Probably. Number one. And number two, God has forgiven you a billion dollars worth. Why can't we forgive a petty penny? Right? To use the analogy in Matthew 18. So, 
Forgiveness. Forgive. I'll give you one more, one more, and we'll hasten along. Now, I, I think you'll agree with me. These are very difficult things to do, to be humble, to serve others. I want to serve myself. I want to be served, right? Forgive. I don't want to forgive. I want to punish. I've been injured. I've been insulted. The resentment I feel in my heart is my way of punishing them over and over and over again. By the way, they're not being punished. You're the only one being punished. Right. Yeah. And then let me give you one more. Are you ready? You say, it can't get any worse. It can get worse. Are you ready? <laughs> Humility, service, forgiveness, submission. Submission. Look at the next verse, chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Listen, God has made it very clear that he has placed umbrellas of authority over each and every one of us. And in the flesh, do you know what we want to do? We want to step out from underneath. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. But you know what? Evidence, evidence, evidence of living sacrificially is saying, I'm going to place myself underneath the umbrella of authority that God has placed over me. I asked the question a moment, a moment ago, what does the living sacrifice look like? We have a whole Bible full of criteria. I've given you four. But let me summarize it in two words. Let me summarize it in one word. What does the living sacrifice look like? It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. By the way, how do we live sacrificially? We die. We die to self. Even the death of the cross. And what does Jesus say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does the living sacrifice look like? It looks like Jesus. May God, may God help us to endeavor to look like Jesus. The meaning of the living sacrifice, the manifestation of the living sacrifice. Two more and we'll be done. Number, number three, the menace. What's the enemy of the living sacrifice? Let's go back to our text, Romans chapter 12, and we see in verse 2 the enemy. We could say a lot of things. We could say sin, pride, carnality. Uh, we could say all of that, and that, that all would be right. But I want to give you one word that is a spiritual epidemic in our country today, and it is called worldliness. Mm -hmm. Worldliness. Quick testimony. I grew up in a Christian home. I praise the Lord for that. Everywhere I turned, it didn't matter where I turned as a young person, I got the, the lecture against worldliness. I, was, I got the, war, the worldliness warning everywhere I would turn. From my parents, my, my principal, my teachers, my youth pastor, my pastor, everywhere I went. I got to tell you something. I had the wrong idea of worldliness. My idea of worldliness would be like when I, I went to the mall and I would see a teenager my age with... Um, a satanic rock and roll t-shirt, long hair, you know, tattoos, and I'd be like, you know what? As long as I don't look like that, I'll be okay. Guess what? You don't have to look like that to be worldly. You don't. You don't have to look like that to be worldly. You know what worldliness is when you study it in the Bible? Here's what worldliness is when you study the Bible. It is this. When a Christian acts like they love this world more than the next. That's it. That's worldliness. Uh, hey, uh, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above and not things on the earth. Right? right. Where's your affection? Is your affection on earth or is your affection in heaven? Uh, hey, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. Hey, 
Worldliness is when a Christian just simply acts like they love this world more than the next. Let me give you two thoughts, and we'll quickly move on. Uh, What is worldliness according to our text? I'll give you two quick things. Number one, worldliness according to this text is when we choose the world over the word. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Conform to this world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. A boat in the water is good. Water in the boat is very bad. A Christian in the world is good. We have power. We have influence. We're salt. We're light. We want other people to see our good works. Why? So they can in turn uh, glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's why we exist on this earth. But listen, the world, the world in a Christian is very, very bad. Why? Because a lot of reasons it steals your joy. You're not doing what you're created to do. Uh, you lose influence. If you're not influencing the world, are you ready for this? The world's influencing you. It, it's one, one or the other. That's it. It's just those two options. And, and, and by the way, lastly, you miss out on eternal reward. You miss out on gold, silver, precious stone. You're not gonna, we are not going to have a whole lot of crowns to cast at the Savior's feet. So lot, lots of dangers of worldliness. Here's another thing to consider. Um, worldliness, according to this text, is when we choose the world over the word. But then number two, uh, worldliness, according to this text, is when we allow the world to do our thinking for us. Where do you get that, Brother Bill? Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the changing of your mind. That's the changing of the guard of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We need to have a change of mind. We need to have a metamorphosis, a a complete change. We need to have a a renovation. and, And we must not allow the world to do our thinking for us. We can't allow the world to choose our trends our values, our philosophies, our fashions, our styles, our morals, our dreams, our goals, our pursuits. How many Christians are allowing the world to just do their thinking for them? Listen, I'll tell you this right now. The world is not going to choose humility ever. The world is not going to choose serving others over serving self. The world says, hey, serve me. The world is not going to choose forgiveness. The world's going to choose do unto others before they do unto you, right? right? The world isn't going to choose submission. No one's going to tell me what to do. Hey, don't allow the world to do your thinking for you. Lastly, we're going to end with this. The motive. The motive. See the meaning, the manifestation, the menace, the enemy, and then lastly, the motive. Notice with me chapter 12 and verse 1 again, uh, and we'll wrap it up with this. I beseech you, therefore. I beseech you, Therefore, Pastor Folger of the Mansfield Baptist Temple, my wife's home church, used to say, along with other preachers, whenever you come to a therefore in the Bible, you must stop and see what it's there for. And here's what you find about the word therefore, and you know this. Therefore is a linking word. It links a line of logic. It links that which came before to that which comes after. And so the obvious question is, what comes before chapter 12? You say, well, chapters 1 through 11. Can I tell you something? We don't have to look at all 11 chapters to understand what comes before chapter 12. As a matter of fact, we don't have to look at all 300 plus verses that are in chapters 1 through 11. As a matter of fact, let me give you three verses that summarize chapters 1 through 11. By the way, what do we find in chapters 1 through 11? The Romans road to what? Salvation. 
Right. Look at chapter 3, verse 20, very quickly. Chapter 3, verse 20. You know what we're going to see in chapter 3, verse 20? We're going to see the therefore of sin. The therefore of sin. Look at chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Bad news. You know what that means? That means no amount of good deeds, no amount of good works can outweigh our sin. No amount of, of, of charity, no amount of goodness offsets my sin before a holy God. By the way, if you could be good enough to go to heaven, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross of Calvary. That's right. That's right. So when you say, hey, Jesus, thanks but no thanks, what you're saying is, hey, I'm going to have a good enough answer when I stand before God the Father someday. I'll say, hey, listen, I know your son died, but he died in vain because I didn't need him. I could be here on my own merit. Who's willing to say that? The therefore of sin. Notice number two, chapter five, verse one, the therefore of salvation. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen to that, right? We come to a point in our life where we realize, I can't save myself. No amount of good deeds can outweigh my, my sin before a holy God. I am of all men most miserable. What, I, what do I do? We recognize Jesus Christ came to earth to take your place for you. He, he came to this earth and he died on the old rugged cross for your sins and for mine. He who knew no sin became sin for us and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all and we put our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone to get us to heaven and we can be saved for all eternity. That is the therefore of salvation. And folks, as if that were not enough, we see a third thing, the therefore of security. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8 has been called the great eight. It is the, it is the Mount Everest of the book of Romans. And notice chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore, there's that word again, no condemnation to them, to, to them which are in Christ Jesus. You know what? It's as if, we think, you know, Christ gave me salvation, and if that were not enough, Christ says, you know what? Once you're saved, you're saved forever. That's good, brother. You can't be saved by works, That's right. and you can't keep saved yeah. by works. We're saved by grace. We're kept saved by grace. And so we, we, we have security. And then we come to chapter 12, verse 1, and, and, and notice the transition here. I beseech you, therefore. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying this. When you consider that you were on your way to a devil's hell, and then you consider that Jesus took your place and saved you and secured you, sealed you with this Holy Spirit of, uh, of promise, we see the therefore of sin, the therefore of salvation, the therefore uh, uh, of security. Then we come to the therefore of sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your what? Church family, reasonable service. When you consider all that God has done for you, it is just our reasonable service to live sacrificially, just to live sac By the way, you don't need three verses to summarize chapters 1 through 11. You just need one word, mercies. Mm -hmm. I when you consider the mercies of God, yes. I present my body as a living sacrifice. I'll close with this. Years ago, I heard a story about a man from England who came to this country to just check out America. He just wanted to see what America was all about. And so 
he was going from town to town, city to city, and he came upon something that he had never seen before. He came upon a slave auction. And he was observing this slave auction, and all of a sudden, after a few things took place, there was a young teenage girl being auctioned off. And this man from England, this man from Britain, stood back in the back of the crowd, and he noticed that in this crowd of people bidding on this slave, there were some wicked, evil, vile, sinful men. And this man from England could not fathom what would happen to this young lady if she was purchased by one of these men. And so this man from England started to bid. And he bid more, and he bid more. And he bid, and he bid uh, even at that day, an exorbitant amount of money, far above the average price of a slave, if you can imagine that. And he, and he won the bid. And he went to the front of the crowd where this young lady was standing with her head down. And he put his hand out to take her gently by the hand, and she spit upon him. And she kicked at him. And he ignored it. And he gently took her by the hand, and he said, come with me. And they walked down one street and, and, and down another street. He was obviously looking for something and, 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 and walked down another street and up this alley and down this street. Finally, he found the building he was looking for. And he said to the young lady, just wait right here. I'll be out in a few minutes. And he went in. A few minutes later, he came back out. And he said to this young lady, here, here are your papers of freedom. You're free to go. She looked at him in awe. And she said, you, you bought me just so you could set me free? He said, yes, that's right. She began to cry. She said, I don't understand. You bought me to set me free? He said, yes. She just kept saying it over again, over again. You bought me to set me free. You bought me to set me free. And then she fell down on her knees, and she looked up at him, and she said, because you bought me to set me free, all I want to do for the rest of my life is serve you. Can I say to you, church family, this morning, Jesus Christ has bought you with his precious blood so that you could have spiritual freedom. He that knew no sin became sin for us. And it's just our reasonable service to look at him and say, hey, you bought me to set me free. All I want to do is serve you. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you living sacrificially. It's not, have you done that? And I think every person ought to give their life to the Lord. It's, are you doing that? With our heads bowed, or eyes